Hello again. Welcome back to the I Listen to Everything podcast with your host, Jen. And I'm Andrew. Yay. So um, this week, or yeah, this week, we do it every week. Uh, we're going to be talking about a very special genre of music, and it is East Coast Hip Hop. One of my favorites. I figured. I, I thought of that. Um, but the reason I'm deciding to do it in sort of like a regional way um, is because I know that hip hop is a very big genre of music. There are a lot of different subgenres, but then there are a lot of artists who don't really fall into any of those subgenres. Like a lot of them are just described as hip hop. So I was like, how am I going to divide this genre? Um, and I thought of, you remember that documentary we watched? Um, yeah, you remember that documentary we watched on Netflix? I think it was called Hip Hop Evolution. Yeah, I just couldn't remember the name, but yeah, I remember watching it. It was like a like it was kind of like a whole show with like multiple episodes, and each episode kind of focused on like a different era, but it also kind of divided it into like regional scenes, like the East Coast, West Coast, and like the Southern um, variants of hip hop. Yeah, one more by like half decade, half exactly. Coast, you know. Yeah, so that's why I wanted to like divide it in this way. And I wanted to start with the East Coast because that's where hip hop began. Um, so let's get a bit into the overview. So basically, East Coast hip hop is a regional subgenre of hip hop that, like we said, originated in New York City in the 1970s. Um, hip hop in general is said to have originated involved in the Bronx. Um, it has stylistic origins in funk, disco, R&B, and jazz. And it prioritized more complex lyrics uh, for attentive listening rather than beats, at least in the East Coast, that was more what it was um, about. Um, and just so that we're not, just to clarify, um, like we're not talking about like the Southeastern United States, that would be categorized as like the South. Um, so anything that's like Maryland, DC, Virginia, that would be categorized with East Coast as long as, as well as New York City and like all the surrounding regions. Right. Mm-hmm. But anything like further south, that would be southern hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of the musical style, so older hip hop was a lot more like it had a more simplistic rhyme pattern. Um, and in the late 80s, we start to see like a stronger emphasis on lyrical dexterity. Um, so that includes like multi-syllabic rhymes, complex world wordplay, continuous free flowing delivery. Multi and- what kind of rhymes? multi-syllabic so multi multiple syllables okay um and intricate metaphors and then of course there was also a lot of sampling at this time in especially in the late 80s uh combined with like aggressive and hard-hitting beats so think of artists such as like epmd beastie boys and public enemy Mm -hmm. which i'm wearing um a shirt of the beastie boys today yeah isn't that fun and then other artists artists at this time were known for like their lyrical skills so like Eric B. Eric B. and Rakim, Boogie Down Productions, LL Cool J, Big Daddy Kane, Nas, The Notorious B.I.G., and Slick Rick. And the lyrical themes sort of range from like lyrical consciousness, so like commenting on like social issues, uh, Public Enemy and Tribe Called Quest did a lot of this, mm-hmm. um, to something called mafioso rap. So this is like referencing like famous mobsters and like the cartel and things like that, and also having a more like materialistic and like luxurious subject matter mm-hmm. um which is basically like a counterpart to g-funk in the west um but we won't talk about that in this episode we'll have another episode about west coast rap um 
Yeah, so that would be the overview and like the musical style of East Coast hip hop. Now we'll get into the history. So I'm not going to talk too much about like early hip hop because I feel like that deserves its own episode like just for that because there's a lot to talk about. So I'll just touch a bit on it in this episode. So from 1973 to 1986, this is like the emergence of hip hop, which means that hip hop is 50 years old this year. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Never would have thought. I know. And um, yeah, so it originated, like we said, in New York City during 70s block parties. There were spoken word artists such as Gil Scott Heron um, and The Last Poets who combined uh, like the spoken word with, um, yeah, who combined spoken word with music to create like what is now known as like proto rap. Um, So and then like early hip hop artists would be uh, artists such as DJ Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, Africa Bombada, Sugar Hill Gang, Curtis Blow, Jam Master J, and Run DMC. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also when Def Jam Records was um, created, and it was formed by Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin in 1983. They released music by LL Cool J, the Beastie Boys, and Public Enemy. And it sort of like defines the new style of like mid 80s hip hop with beats. Uh, that included electronic drum machines, uh, scratching, and sampling. Uh, And then we get to the renaissance of hip-hop, and it's also kind of known as the golden Golden age. Age. Yeah, so this is from 1986 to 1987. Um, The lyrical themes of of this time, uh, especially with artists that are um, part of the native tongue, so this would be like De La Soul, A Tribe Called Quest, and Jungle Brothers, um, they would include like themes that revolve around like, so like Afrocentric lyrics, Um, and a lot of sampling and jazz influence beats. At the same time, West Coast hip hop started to gain a lot of popularity, especially with NWA and Dr. Dre. So this is sort of what started like a feud between the two coasts. I'll talk a bit about that later. Yeah, so, but then again, the East Coast still remained very relevant and integral with albums by Nas, Biggie, um, and others in the early to mid 90s so there was Illmatic that came out in 1994 and this is noted as like one of the creative high points of east coast um of the east coast scene with new york-based producers uh large professor pete rock and dj premier um and then there was also wu-tang uh onyx black moon smitten wesson big l lost boys and mob deep and these are like pillars of the hardcore hip-hop scene Mm -hmm. Um, which should probably deserve its own episode as well, I think. Yeah. Uh, but like the album that came out at this time that was very big is uh, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. Yeah, I love that album. Yeah, it's very iconic. But like I said, before Biggie became... So Biggie is Notorious B.I.G., for those yes. who don't know. Uh, he became a central figure during this time. He's part of Bad Boy Records with producers Hitman, Stevie J, Derek D-Dot, Angeletti, and Amon Ra... Directed by Sean Combs, um, also known as Puff Daddy, P Diddy, Diddy. All of those. Anything um, else I've forgotten. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this really drew attention to the New York scene at the same time as the West Coast scene was like dominating. So many saw like Biggie as like a dominating presence at this time. And it was a major factor uh, in the rivalry between the coasts, um, which unfortunately led to the death of Tupac and Biggie in 1997, which I wanted to address um, 
last episode, I talked about the death of that um, black fan at the Altamont Free concert. And I kind of just like talked about it and didn't address how fucked up that was. Um, Sorry about that. So I will be talking about the death of these two artists in this episode. Yeah, so that was 1986 to 1997. And I wanted to ask you, Drew, because this is kind of like you were in 1997, you were like 10 years old. Yeah. Um, so, and I know that you used to visit like New York City a lot because you're, you have two brothers that live there. That's correct. Yeah. And so you sort of like remember this time, like this golden age of hip hop. What were your impressions of it at the time? Well, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really think about these things until you're older. But I do remember I used to spend almost all my summers in New York as a child, so Everywhere you went, what every radio station, every car was playing Biggie songs and anything from the New York scene. So I, I grew up around it, heard it in the background all the time. That's why I fell in love with it. And funny enough, I was actually in New York. I think I was staying at my oldest brother's house when Biggie got shot. Oh, really? So I didn't understand because... I knew about Biggie, but I didn't understand how big he was and how much of an impact it had in the city. And I remember how sad my brother was, so. Yeah, like, it must have been a, yeah. like, do you remember, were there any, like, I don't know, were people commemorating him at the time this happened? Like, do you uh, remember? Honestly, it was a blur because I was nine or ten when it happened. Right. So. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that you were, like, there and like when you look back on it now and how like iconic this time period was is it kind of like crazy to think that like it is because even after he passed and how much people were playing the music and talking about him all the time like you can't convince anyone at the time in new york that there was anyone better than biggie and everything so and bad boy records was at his peak going into the yeah. 2000s so. <laughs> wow that's great yeah. um and I know that, like, even after that, you were still visiting New York. And so you were around during the next phase, which is sort of known as, like, the bling era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is, like, when hip-hop had a lot of mainstream success. So um, Biggie's, like, commercial success success sort of paved the way for artists such as, like, Jay-Z, DMX, Busta Rhymes, 50 Cent, Ja Rule, The Locks, Fat Joe, and Big Pun. And... I don't know about you, but like this is, I guess this is more like when I was a kid, 1997 to 2007. Um, 2007 was when I started high school. So like, mm-hmm. I remember a lot of these artists, especially like the ones, like when they talk about mainstream success, a lot of them played on the ri- on the radio regularly, like Ja Rule um, and like 50 Cent were huge at the time and Jay-Z of course as well. So it's like, and I wasn't someone who, like, I wasn't a kid that listened to hip hop. It was just my mom would play the radio and that what was on. that's what was on. So, like, it definitely was getting a lot bigger at this time, at least right. for, like, artists that weren't part of the, like, local scenes in New York. I just want to cut you off real quick. When you said the locks, you sounded unsure who they were. I don't know who that is. I've never heard of them. You heard of D-Block? Um, I don't know. It sounds familiar, but no. Pretty much the same group of people, if I'm not mistaken, because I'm going off memory as a child, so I hope I'm not making a mistake. But you know Jadakiss? Yes. You know Styles B? No. You've heard songs from me. Probably. And then Sheik Looch, <laughs> uh, that's pretty much the locks. L-O-X. Okay, yeah. all right. And um, at one point, very briefly, they were with the Rough Riders with 
DMX, okay, okay, so. okay, yeah. See, every other artist I knew of except for the locks, I was like, I don't know who that is. Yeah, but. they were affiliated with DMX and Rough Riders at one point, very mm. briefly. Well, there was a lot of like collaboration with different yeah. artists at this time. Like, as a, I bought this, not I bought, <laughs> I didn't buy this, <laughs> but I took this book out from uh, the library that I work at, and it's called The Rough Guide to Hip Hop. It was written in 2005, but like for the purposes of this episode, it like made sense to go through it because. None of the music... Well, I mean, there's some artists that we're going to be talking about that were after 2005, but, like, for the most part, we're talking about the 90s. And, like, I was as I was reading about some artists, like, oh, I didn't know that he was part of this group before. And it's, like, I don't know. It was cool to uh, read about. It was, like, the hip-hop version of modern NBA super teams. It was a lot of grouping up. Yeah. <laughs> it was very weird. I wasn't a big fan of it, but it was okay. Wait, why weren't you a big fan? Well, the same reason why I don't like super teams in NBA. There's no competition. It's like everyone's joining up to be. So you like don't a... like collaboration? <laughs> Collab's fine, but when everyone's teaming up to be in the same team, same record label. Mm. You know, when 50 was gathering up Mob Deep at one point yeah. towards the end. You love G-Unit's height and fame. Mm-hmm. Nah. Too much for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that would be 1997 to 2007. Um, and then from 2007 to 2013, this is known as the blog era. Um, this was when I was in high school and like, uh, social media was becoming super big at that time. To be honest, I never heard of that term blog era in my life. I don't know. It's what Wikipedia called it, but it's, anyways, it, <laughs> the reason they called that is because a lot of younger artists were, were using the internet, like social media, blogging, music streaming to, um, sort of build their following. And it kind of blurred the lines between like underground music versus mainstream music as well. Um, so artists at this time would be like J. Cole, Joey Badass, Nicki Minaj, Wiz Khalifa, Meek Mill, Vast Air. Um, is this Wale? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wale, Logic, and Azalea Banks. Yeah, I definitely remember a lot of these artists being popular at the time. Um, my So I graduated in 2011, and Wiz Khalifa was very popular at this time. Yes, and I the remember. school colors of my school were uh, black and gold. So the song that they were playing at all the assemblies was Black and Yellow (laughs) (laughs) for my school. Um, You went to the same school, but not at the same time as it was. No, but uh, I didn't know you at the time, but my best friend's uh, younger brother was graduating the same year as you. I don't Mm -hmm. want to say his name out loud. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember he was telling me and I saw the grad videos. It was pretty funny. Yeah, it was playing all the time. It was so fun. Um. Yeah, so those were that was the 2007 to 2013, and it was also known as like a revitalization period, but without the same level of like ubiquity as the 90s. Um, and then from 2013 to now, this would be like considered okay. So it says rise of New York drill and trap. Um, so this is when like a lot of there was a lot of decline in like unique regional scenes and rivalries um, because artists started to collaborate a lot more and i guess it would be a lot easier to collaborate when you have the internet where you could easily contact people and meet up and so you don't really you have like sort of genres blending together you have new york drill and trap whereas when we know trap originated in the south so we're in a copycat industry at this point so a copycat industry yeah everyone sounds the same more or less I mean, in I don't certain know if I would in do certain that. categorizations, you know, like you're either part of this style of music, whereas instead it's by region. That's mm-hmm. my that's my opinion at this point. Okay. Because there's New Yorkers that can sound like they're from the South, or 
They're trying to like West imitate Coast. the accent and yeah. all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I could see that. But like, so it's however, like the East Coast sound is still notable to like in like some of the music of today. Uh, for example, Lil Uzi Vert, he began his career representing the East Coast style, but then he moved to Atlanta and he joined artists such as Lil Yachty and Playboy Cardi. And all of these artists gained popularity using social media. So like we said before, more collaboration with the internet and all mm-hmm. that. And this is when like the New York drill movement started, um, which was heavily influenced by UK drill. And it sort of injected a new energy into the New York scene. So there's artists such as Pop Smoke, Fivio, Foreign, Chef G, and 22Gs. You know, like all these artists were like, I've never heard of them before. And I just say their names. I'm probably saying them all wrong. Like I said last time when I said das efx it's it's not das efx it's das effects i'm just stupid and read things literally um like just I, now the only name i under that i recognize is pop smoke yeah me too i don't know the other ones although I, they kind of sound familiar but the only one i know is pop smoke yeah so that's the new york drill movement and like i said it was influenced by uk drill and like a lot of artists from london were also coming to like collaborate with artists from new york so that was pretty much the era from 2013 to the present. And in 2018, it was announced that um, hip hop is now the the genre, like the most popular genre. It like surpassed rock. Yeah. And so, which is crazy because like, I don't know, when I was younger, it was definitely gaining a lot more popularity, but it was also something that like a lot of people would talk bad about. Um, especially certain demographics, uh, mm-hmm. white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like when I was a kid, for example, a lot of people would say like, I like all music except for hip hop. I hate hip hop. You still hear that nowadays. You so. still hear it, but I feel like you hear it a lot less. Or like you don't hear that. For example, when I was in, in elementary school, I remember like some kids who, you know, I mean, there were a lot of kids in my class and in my grades that loved hip hop and talked about it all the time. But like there were certain kids who would say things like, you know, music is what was the thing that they would say? Music is like candy. It's good if you take if you get rid of the rappers. Oh, I never heard that. Yeah, like that was the thing they would say. And it was super cringy. And like, uh, I wonder what those people are thinking now when they say things like that. Like The last thing I remember is, you know, early days of Facebook and people started putting their businesses on their pages and stuff mm-hmm. and i remember i don't know if it was somebody's son or somebody i knew it was way long ago he had a tattoo shop somewhere and you know they're advertising a tattoo shop and saying like heavy metalers and this this and that are welcome except if you like rap get the fuck out oh my god <laughs> i was like oh, i'm never going there like that's that's like code for like i don't like Mm-hmm. black people pretty much i feel like that's that it's like if you like this certain kind of music mm-hmm. which we know hip-hop is primarily black artists that are creating music and it's mm-hmm. a lot of black people who like the music so it's like i don't know it's very um what's the word racially like those kind of things that people say i have a have like a racist like background to mm-hmm. it um yeah so like it kind of this controversy surrounding hip-hop starts in the 80s where like there was a lot of controversy about it in the press. Um, people were questioning whether it was really music. Um, and it started this like social and legal debate over the usage of violence, homophobia, and like vulgarity in general. 
not realizing that this happens in many music genres but mm-hmm. anyways it led to like a moral panic because um hip-hop was you know being shown on mtv a lot and also on the radio a lot more at this time and especially with like very militant and aggressive why are you laughing because you use the word panic i started laughing i'm sorry what was yeah it was like a moral panic like people like you know you you picture like a white mom like oh no my children cannot listen to this music you know like and she's british too how will we yes (laughs) how will we save the children it's kind of like that satanic panic in the 80s where like people were like christian mothers and, and christian families in general were afraid of kids like they talked about it in um stranger things like kids who like like dungeons and dragons and things like that so yeah it led to like this moral panic because um hip-hop was playing a lot on mtv and on the radio at this time and especially with the groups that were more militant and like aggressive like public enemy they talked a lot about like political issues and i think what scares a lot of people is like they talk about police brutality and hating the police and all that and to people who think the police protect them it's like oh these criminals are you know talking against our police um yeah so queen latifah she says she i mean this is a direct quote there's a sense definitely that it's violent, that it's a bunch of hoodlums, hoodlums and nondescripts making records about bullshit, that we can't put out a goddamn positive message. If they took a second to listen to the words, then they would know that wasn't the case. Which, people don't listen to the words in hip-hop. They just hear what they want to hear. <laughs> a lot of people don't listen to words in general. Oh, I love the beat. Yeah. This is a nice beat. <laughs> yeah, so that was, you know, this is where this like sort of controversy started. Um, I'll talk a bit about, like, the rivalry between the East and the West Coast, but I won't go into too much detail. Maybe I'll do that in, like, the West Coast episode, just in terms, because this might be very long if I do that. No problem. Anyway, so, um, so basically this rivalry was, like, a feud between artists and fans of each coast in the mid-90s. Um, so especially between Biggie and Puff Daddy, uh, with Bad Boy Records, and then Tupac Shakur with Suge Knight, uh, who were part of Death Row Records. Um, with a little sprinkle of Snoop. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and so, like, New Yorkers felt that they were superior because hip-hop originated in New York, and then, like, the West Coast had this inferiority complex because of that. Um, however, the West Coast was really, like, flourishing in the late 80s, and so there was a lot of like diss tracks being recorded by certain artists well artists on each side um but i think it started in the east coast but anyways basically there was a lot of diss tracks there was a a lot of like arguments between them there was a shooting in 1994 uh tupac was scheduled to record a verse in manhattan to pay for his legal fees because he was uh on charge he was sorry standing trial for charges of sexual abuse sodomy and weapons possession um, and he was shot five times and robbed by two gunmen. Um, but he was, he did, he survived, but, um, as he was being like, as he was going out on the stretcher, he gave the middle finger to members of Junior Mafia, who was a group that was affiliated, uh, with Bad Boy Records who uh-huh. were standing outside of the building at the time. Yeah. And then Biggie released Who Shot Ya in 19, in February of 1995, which Tupac interpreted as like a taunt against him even though Biggie and Combs denied it. Mm-hmm. And then some stuff happened at the Source Awards in August of 1995 as well. This is when, uh, this is when, um, sorry, Snoop Dogg said, 
the East Coast ain't got no love for Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Death Row. Y'all don't love us. Y'all don't love us. That That's when that quote happened. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, basically, there was a lot of back and forth like this that went on for a long time. But it ultimately led to, um, first, it was Tupac who was unfortunately shot and killed in a drive-by shooting on September 7th of 1996. Um, it, we're not entirely sure who killed him. Um, and then Biggie was shot six months later and killed by an unknown assailant in LA. So on the West coast. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it resulted in like this big peace summit in September of 1996 after Tupac's death and another one after Biggie's death, which basically like Snoop Dogg and, and, um, P Diddy, like they called for like an end to this feud because people are dying and like. Snoop Dogg said, kids are watching, and by calling for a truce, we're giving them something to live for. Um, so that's the rivalry between the two coasts, um, just so you understand like how big it was at this time. So last thing I want to talk about is uh, women in hip-hop. And there were many women in the East Coast hip-hop scene. But in the so in the early 80s, women had like restricted access to producing rap recordings. Um, a lot of male label owners were unreceptive to women to the point where uh, a rapper called Princess, um, she led a lot of them to believe that it was a man who had written and produced her records just so that they could be interested in, you know, signing her. Uh, but nonetheless, we have artists at this time such as Queen Latifah, Princess, like we mentioned, Salt and Peppa, and The Real Roxanne. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the 90s, there's a lot more artists that come about. There's like an expanded role for women in hip hop with uh, Foxy Brown and Lil' Kim. Lil' Kim was part of um, Bad, Boy. Bad Boy Records at the time. She worked a lot with Biggie and all of them. Um, but these two artists, Foxy and Lil' Kim, they use their sexuality aggressively, often presenting men as only good for one thing. Um, but that makes sense because this is what men were doing to them. Mm-hmm. This is what men were talking about with women at the same time. Um, and then we have Lauren Hill in 1999. Um, she releases the mis- the miseducation of Lauren Hill, and Lauren Hill is like this very. Um, but you gotta remember, Lauren Hill was with, was with the Fugees first. Yes, yes, she was. Sorry, I forgot to mention that she was with the Fugees first. Um, but the miseducation of Lauren Hill was her solo album. Solo, yeah. And so she received five Grammy awards for this album. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, and she's like a very socially conscious artist. Like she's she's very talented. She ha- she's a philosophy major mm-hmm. at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So she was like huge at this time, and it really signaled how hip hop had become like the mainstream dominant genre. Um, and then we have other artists, uh, Missy Elliott, who had like l- that like sort of like wacky, like surreal, and like non glamorous persona. It's kind of like Buster Rhymes. Yes, th- that's what I was thinking too. They both like sort of funny like that. Mm-hmm. I love Buster and I love Missy Elliott. So fun fact, I don't know if I ever got to tell you or don't remember, but you know, um, I don't want to use names on a podcast, but you know, one of my mom's sisters that used to live in New York. Is this about Salt and Pepper? No, you know that. Oh, one, okay. But- my um sorry i'm losing my thought now no sorry about that (laughs) my aunt's son the older son okay i don't want to say his name Mm -hmm. he went to school with uh trevor smith trevor smith buster rhymes oh okay you have told me this before i did and then but when he was in high school they used to refer to him by his middle name taim so okay and then of course yeah you do remember salt and pepper Mm mm-hmm um, it's my uncle-in-law. It's the same aunt. Her husband's cousin was in Salt and Pepper. So my parents got to meet 
one of the members of salt and pepper that's yeah. wild <laughs> it's crazy yeah they told me from i was a kid and i didn't understand i was like what do you mean <laughs> like, who is salt and pepper i thought those They're were like <laughs> things that you put on food no <laughs> each of the trio like one person was a salt one was the end and the other is pe- pepper the mm-hmm. one is that's the end that's your uncle's cousin i'm like okay cool <laughs> <laughs> not realizing how like yeah i didn't know at the time but were. as i got older i'm like oh okay yeah so um Okay, and there's other artists uh, like Ladybug Mecca, Lisa Left Eye Lopez, um, Eve, uh, Angie Martinez, Remy Ma, Lil Mama, Nicki Minaj, and Cardi B. So Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, that was that's sort of like more the artists that are popular now. No Rod Digger? A Rod Digger, yeah. There's a lot of them. I just mentioned the ones that like were mentioned in the article. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, and so... To talk about sort of just the legacy of East Coast hip-hop, we said it was a dominant form of rap during the Golden Age, and many fans and critics are, like, favorable towards the East Coast um, hip-hop of the early mid-90s, and seeing it as a time of, like, creative growth and a lot lot of influential recordings, which we're going to listen to today. Um, And they sort of call it the East Coast Renaissance, so music writer may blaze of mv remix urban he commented on like this nostalgia that is felt by hip-hop fans um for records that were released at this time and this is a direct quote uh it was claimed as the east coast renaissance wu-tang brought the ruckus with 36 chambers the world was ours when nas released illmatic big l the mvp came out with lifestyles of the poor and dangerous Temperatures rose in clubs when Mob Deep came out with the infamous, and Brooklyn's finest Jay-Z released Reasonable Doubt. And who can forget the powerful, uplifting anthem that would brand New York's concrete Bucktown, Smith and Wesson's, Smith and Wesson's hit single. Ah, it was a beautiful time in hip-hop history that many of us wish we could return to. And, like, I don't know about you, but, like, see, I definitely feel what people are feeling. Well, you lived through this time, but, like, I did i did i was alive but like i I didn't i wasn't listening to this kind of music and so now when i listen to it i can definitely feel the nostalgia for it and like how and why it was so popular it's it's like every single like i find that like when i whenever i listen to hip-hop i come back to like or listening to earlier like especially the 90s and especially East Coast hip hop. I like the West Coast too, but East Coast. I mean, we're from the East Coast, so <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do love me some Tupac. Oh yeah, of course, and Snoop Dogg, and all of them. All of them, but yeah. yeah. Um, N.W.A. Um, okay, so yeah, that was what I wanted to say about that. Um, one last thing because we talked about sampling, and my uncle, he sent me an article, <laughs> which was really great timing because we're talking about East Coast hip hop. Um, apparently, shall we uh, give a quick definition of sampling for those who yes, might not know what sampling? I, is? I wanted to do that. I just um, I wanted to just say that uh, De La Soul's music was uh. Fi- is finally available on streaming platforms, which is also great timing because I put a De La Soul song on um, <laughs> our playlist today. Um, but the reason that they that it took so long is because they used so many samples that and they weren't cleared. And so it, for people who don't know what sampling is, um, let, let me just give a quick definition. So sampling is the reuse of a portion or a sample of a sound recording in another recording. So they may compromise, compromise. They may comprise <laughs> elements such as rhythm, melody, speech, sounds, 
or entire bars of music, and they may be layered, equalized, sped up, or slowed down, repitched, looped, or otherwise manipulated. I don't know about anyone else, but I get a lot of TikToks that are like um, just showing all the different samples that are used in very popular hip hop songs. Every time I'm like fascinated. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> they use this old song. A lot of times they use disco songs, which is really yeah, awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. And like, but then there's this whole legal debate behind sampling, which I remember they talked about this in my um uh, class that I took, uh, what was it called again? Popular music after 1945. When we talked about hip hop, there was this girl doing her PhD on hip hop. And she was talking about the legal, uh, implications behind sampling, which they talked about in the, um, podcast episode that my uncle sent me. Um, so I'll just give you a little bit of a, a summary of that podcast episode. Okay, so to give a little summary, um, basically they were talking about uh, the legal restrictions uh, for sampling and like the copyright battles that happen a lot of the time. Um, And the fact that De La Soul's music is finally available on streaming platforms, which was very important because there's like sort of this fear of their music being written out of history. And um, yeah, so basically there was a lot of like, there was issues of like uncleared samples and there was a dispute between the record label and the artist and who was gonna pay for the samples. And basically the two uh, hosts of the show were like saying like, there's an argument to be made that um, it would help the copyright owners to have samples because you're basically giving them promotion. And sampling, like to make an argument for sampling, it's it's not just because people don't know how to play their instruments and, and, and use other people's music to make a song. It's often a reference to history and um, it's like a common language between MCs, producers, audience, etc. It's like, and a lot of the time samples are not even recognizable. Like it's only if you if you pointed out to someone, hey, did you realize this is from this song? You know, or it's, and it's like they're also like, like the fact that it's referencing history to me. Like I never thought of it that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Like because they're a history major. I know, <laughs> but it was really exciting to like hear that. It's like oh, it's it's true. Like they're it, they're not just like. I don't know. They're not just using it because they don't know how to p- make music. It like I don't. I would never be able to create a song with just samples. Like to me, that's very artistic and creative, in my opinion. Yes. The fact that there's all these legal battles is um, stupid. But anyway, and it's like it's stupid because like there are some songs where who that have s- very similar chord progressions. So if you think of like "Twist and Shout" by the Beatles, and then "La Bamba" by Richie Valens, they sound almost the same in the beginning a little different because they're both playing you know one of them is playing a little slower but like we accept that as like oh they're two different songs but then when they use samples it's like oh they're they're like copying this artist no they're not they're rapping over it they're mixing it all up with a bunch of different samples sometimes anyways um and they also argued like is it a racist thing um because like if we think about it, a lot of these black artists um, in the 50s, their songs were being remade by white artists at the time who were protected by the law, whereas hip hop artists are not. So like most of the people who were suing were white artists who had taken from black music in the first place. And then one of them said like, this art form has flourished in spite of these legal issues. But then the other one was like, but not really because um, there's always a risk and it takes a lot of times to get things cleared now. So like, if you're just like a small artist, you can't just, if you're sampling something, you can't just have your music on Spotify or whatever. You have to get the samples cleared. 
Um, and so you have to find other ways to like share your music and having your music on like Spotify and all these big um, platforms is super important to get like, you know, people to listen to your songs. That's how everyone listens to music now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was that podcast. It was super interesting. Um, Silent samples, how copyright laws infringe on hip hop. And it was um, on the podcast called On the Music, I think. On the Media, sorry. It's called On the Media. Yeah, so that was that. Okay, so let's listen to some music. Okay, so let's get started. Um, so we're going to be playing... <laughs> I, I want to play this entire playlist, but we're not going to have the time. So I'll try to play what I think is the most important. Hopefully everyone agrees with me. And I'll, I'm going to just play like little snippets of some samples just to give you an idea what, of what like sampling is, okay? So we'll start with uh, EPMD. This is called You Gots to Chill. You Gots to Chill, 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 Chill. The sounds of your PMZ, but you should keep quiet while the MC rap. But if you're tired, then go take a nap. I'll stay awake and watch the show I take because right now I'm about to shake and bend. The E I C K is my name, my sp- So that was released in 1988, and um, I, I was reading my book that they were kind of different at the time because they weren't as like. They weren't like yelling over uh, the beats. They were a lot more like laid back and chill, mm-hmm. um, which is in contrast to. Uh, oh, and I'll just play a bit of the sample. They sampled from "More Bounce to the Ounce" by Zap. Yeah, but they added other things onto it so yeah. that it doesn't sound mm-hmm. exactly the same. Obviously, uh, so for example, some artists that were a lot more like loud uh were the beastie boys so this is brass monkey I played that song in particular because um, I think it was on like a CD that my dad had, like a compilation of different songs. <laughs> and that one was like, I love that one as a kid. Um, a fun fact about the Beastie Boys, they were originally a punk band. Yeah. Uh, but then they teamed up with Rick Rubin to release their first rap album, which was a huge success and brought them international fame. Um, and this song in particular, it, ref- it uh, samples Bring It Here by Wild Sugar. Let's play a little bit. Yeah, so that's that. Um, another funny thing about the Beastie Boys, everyone knows Fight for Your Right, the song. Yeah! I'll skip it a little bit. Yeah! 
Yeah, so that one was very big, and because they kind of combined elements of like rock, obviously, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I didn't know that Public Enemy had like they released another song after that that was sort of like a more political um, song. It's called "Party for Your Right to Fight." Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> really, I didn't know about the song, and it, the fun thing about this song is that um, Chuck D and Flava Flav are both rapping at the same time and if you listen to it with like earphones or headphones they're one is in one ear and one in the other and one is in the other and they're at the same time so it sounds like you know cool Hmm. Um, so I'll just play that So, like, they're both rapping at the same time in their own style, and it sounds... I don't know. I like Public Enemy a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, this is just one of their more popular songs. It's called Rebel Without a Pause. Brothers and sisters! Brothers and sisters! I don't know what this world is coming to! Um, and then they, they sampled that, like, mm-hmm. high-pitched uh, sound from this song. It's called The Grunt. Oh, cool. By the JBs. And um, Eric B. and Rakim also sampled the JBs in this song. This is called I Ain't No Joke. So for Eric B and Rakim, Eric B is the producer and Rakim has like is the rapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're from Long Island. And this is the the song that they um, sample. So they got that from that. That's Past the Peas by the JBs. Um, and then we have LL Cool J. Do you have a song that you want to play by LL Cool J? Mm, not relevant to today's episode, no. Nah. So that's that song. Um, it uh, samples Grace Jones, who we talked about in the disco mm-hmm. episode. This mm-hmm. is the sample. I'll just play a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
It's called My Jamaican Guy. <laughs> okay. That's why it has that like Caribbean feel to it. Mm-hmm. The only reason I know it samples that is because of this um, Instagram account called Know Your Caribbean that talks about Caribbean history. Okay. And she talks a lot about like Caribbean influences in hip hop, which there are a lot of actually. Um, and so that was one of the ones that she talked about. It's funny because my parents always did say they're from Jamaica, that rap and hip hop originated in Jamaica and got brought over to the States. Yeah, well, that's what a lot of people say. It's like, and when she said that, oh my God, people were in her comments like, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, listen, like, you can look it up. It's, there's documented, like, history of it. Anyways, um, (laughs) okay, the next one is uh, Slick Rick. He has a very, like, unique style of rapping. This is called sitting sitting in my car. he's getting a lot of not hate but like people are making fun of his style of um rapping on tiktok now why because it's sort of like a more like classic hip-hop kind of style of rapping but i don't it's to me it's just very unique like they're they're making fun of like oh this is how hip-hop artists sounded in in the back in the day but like it's literally only slick rick that sounded like the same kids that talk shit about millennial pause so it's okay Hey, the younger generations are gonna make fun of us. Fun of us. We just have exactly. to accept and we it. Make, and we make fun of them. It's fine. That's how the world works. Yeah, it's okay. all love at the end of the day. <laughs> then we have one of my personal favorites, a tribe called Quest. Yes. Uh, this is from the album Low End Theory. It's called Excursions. Teenager before I had status and before I had a pager, you can find the abstract. Listen in the hip hop, my pops used to say it reminded him of bebop. My simple daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles? Wait, the Bobby Brown is just amber like Michael. It's all expected, things are for the looking. If you got the money, the quest is for the booking. Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode. Still got room on the truck, no the back Listen to the rhyme and get a mental picture of this black man, black woman picture. Why do I say that? Cause There's a lot of um, rapping. I'll try to get to the chorus. Yeah, so you can definitely hear the like jazzy influences in that. Mm -hmm. Um, It actually comes from a jazz song by Art Blakey uh, called A Chant for Boo. Yeah, so they use a lot of like jazz samples in their mm-hmm. songs. Um, I just want to play like <laughs> one of my favorite songs by them. It's called Bonita Applebaum. Do I love you? Do I lust you? 
And I sing the code, I'll do it too. Can you let me know? Right now, please. For me to have the voice. It's really good. Listen to the whole thing. Um, I know you like this one a lot, Drew. so good um okay let's continue <laughs> we could play all of their oh, songs yeah. um they're for like low end theory and midnight marauders is just like amazing um those are two of their biggest albums okay so um this is de la soul this is called me myself and i about De La Soul is that um, I was reading about it in my book but uh, so they had like this sort of like so the album has like this flower imagery on it and their music had this pastoral quality to it so um, and it was really to like reflect their unmacho approach and uh, yeah I just really like that about mm -hmm. um, and they use a lot of like jazz and disco samples to create like this fun and energetic style of um, of music um, another uh, group I really like is Diggable Planets. I think one of their most popular songs is one that a lot of people know, and I cannot remember the name of it now. Oh, Cool Like That. I remember it was in a commercial. This song? This part. I remember it was in a commercial. It was in a lot of things. Yeah. But I just, I watched TV back in the day. <laughs> anyway, um, but my favorite song by them, it's called Where I'm From. Takes a while to get started, so. 
it just sounds really cool but also it's like that afrocentric kind of like because they're rapping about um things that you would find where they're from in like some of them some of the references are like from the caribbean or from africa so yeah that's a good song um let's continue what else do we have uh okay now we're gonna get in like the 90s well, we were already in the 90s, but we're getting into, like, the biggest uh, artists of this time. This is Nas, uh, New York State of Mind. Yeah, yeah. And your black is time, bro. First time is time, man. All right. Begin. Yeah. Straight out the fucking dungeons of rap. But fake niggas don't make it back. I'm not start this so very iconic song uh but my favorite on the illmatic album is uh it's called represent play too much of it but that was represent uh and then of course we got to play the notorious big i think this is his most popular one big papa maybe not actually this is what people think of when they think of it yeah that's one of them But the one I really like, which is a which features Junior Mafia, is uh, Get Money. because I am a big fan of Lil' Kim and she's featured on that one, of mm-hmm. course. Um, speaking of Lil' Kim, this is like one of her biggest songs and it's called Crush On You. <laughs> Sorry, Lil C's, I'm gonna skip your part. <laughs> <laughs> Not a different girl every day of the week. 
but oh I love that song I, I listen to it like all the time <laughs> and like her whole uh what's that album that you had showed me that like got me introduced to her I can't remember the name though oh my god it's gonna bother me if I don't know it hold on hardcore 1996 yeah of course um yeah I remember one time when we first started dating I was like can you like recommend me some music I'm tired of what I'm listening to right now and so you sent me Lil' Kim and I was like oh my god why have I never heard this before and meanwhile she's one of the biggest like <laughs> female hip hop artists of all time um yeah so that's Lil' Kim but actually I knew about her already because she was in a show <laughs> she was the she was a host not a host but like a judge in a show a Something about the Pussycat Dolls. The next... Oh, yeah. I forget what it was about, but it was basically a show about like who would be the next girl group. And she was like one of the judges on that show. But I didn't know who she was. I just thought she was a like, random woman. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now I have much respect for her. Not that I didn't before. I just had no idea who she was. Okay. And then we got to play this song, of course. Just so you know, like Wu Tang has some of the it features some of the like most notorious rap artists though. RZA, Old Dirty Bastard, um, Method Man, Raekwon, so many, so many. Inspector Deck. Yes. I love them all. <laughs> yeah. So next, uh, I one that I really like that like it wasn't really talked about in any. He wasn't really talked about in any of the art. Uh, any of the articles <laughs> that I was sort of reading um, was is Red Man. Yeah, I know this is one of your favorites. Oh yeah. Drew likes to blast this one in the car. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good. Um, and this is another Red Man one that I really like. That Drew likes as well. I know you showed me this. Yeah. 
I'll just skip to the chorus. Which is not there. <laughs> Because he makes fun of himself. <laughs> I don't he know. He just keeps it real. Yeah, he's like humble. I like that. Okay, and then um, I didn't know what to play by Jay Z. I know that you really like Jay Z. Um, I'm just going to play this one. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the eighth wonder of the world. The flow of the century. Oh, it's timeless. Drew, are you looking for something? No, I just thought you would play something on Reasonable Doubt. Since... Oh, <laughs> yeah, I should have. Okay, what should I play? Okay, we're going to play two on A Reasonable Doubt from 1986 that are Drew's favorites. Okay, so this is uh, Brooklyn's Finest. Okay, I'm reloaded, you motherfuckers. Moral panic. No, I'm joking. You're going to die big time. Here come the pain. Yeah, so that was featuring Biggie. Um, and then Dead Presidents 2. <laughs> I like that one a lot. And if you notice, I had a sample of uh, Nas. Oh, no, I didn't notice. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Jay-Z, as everyone knows, well, I, most people know, he's arguably like the most successful rapper. Um, he's the CEO of Def Jam Recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, and was vital to the success of many stars, including Kanye, Rihanna, J. Cole. And also vital to the downfall of many careers he purposely ruined because they were... Are you bringing controversy into this podcast? Oh, <laughs> no, just facts. <laughs> Let's um, continue. Also, a lot of artists, like hip-hop artists, use like um, Middle Eastern songs, like samples in their song in their songs like for example big pimp and 
Bye, Jay-Z. Yep. This is from an Egyptian uh, artist. Mm. It's called Big Pimpin'. I'm not going to play the whole thing. I just want to comment on that. Okay, then there's DMX. Uh, this is Rough Riders Anthem. Rest in peace to DMX. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, there's Busta Rhymes. Uh, this is Give Me Some More, which is also a really great music video. One of my favorite music I videos. I suggest you all watch it. It's it's really good. Yeah. As a shorty playing in the front yard of the crib, fell down and I bumped my head. Somebody held me up and asked me if I bumped my head. I, I said, it. yeah. And then they said, oh, so that means you're going you gonna to switch it on them. I said, yeah, flip mode. Flip mode is the greatest. You know, and as a shorty, I was always told that if I ain't gonna be part of the greatest, I gotta be the greatest myself. Come on, come on, yeah, come on. Yeah, nigga, what? What a surprise. Give yourself a nigga, nigga, close over your eyes. All my niggas getting money capitalized. Got a little small guy, we on the rise. Everything a nigga touch, clap the minds. Full of your grip, you know we coming on a surprise. Got a big gun and I'ma show you the size. Fuck with any of my flip mode family ties. Me and my niggas be coming through, slowing you out. Killing off any and everything. wondering do you have eve on the list from rough riders i will put one <laughs> okay there was there's so many like i still have a lot more songs no, the reason why all. i asked i just had a random memory so i don't remember if i told you this but i remember i was walking down the street in queens with my cousin when i was probably oh yeah you did tell me this when i was probably like 11 years old 12 or maybe even 13 i can't remember now anymore and i remember uh this this girl started hollering at him across the street, asking him to come over and stuff and say what's up, you know, like she was pretty much catcalling him and then he was with me, you know, so yeah to then when we were walking away, he's like, Do you know who that is? I'm like, nah, because I wasn't wearing my glasses. I used to wear glasses at that time. <laughs> that was Eve. I'm like, What do you mean? Eve who? From Rough Riders. I was like, Word <laughs> I was like, Yo, she was hollering at you, man. <laughs> Wow. I was so shocked and lost. I was confused. <laughs> so you met Eve. And I didn't meet her. I just heard her screaming at my cousin from across the street. Oh. <laughs> you heard Eve. <laughs> I heard Eve. Okay. And she wanted to holler at my cousin. That was pretty funny. I don't know if I should continue and play things that came out in like the 2000s. Maybe we'll save that for another podcast. Yeah. Because there's a lot of them. And um, okay, so I'll just play a few more classics. Yeah. Uh, this is Craig Mack, Flavor in Your Ear. It's the remix. They're both good. Yeah, but this one's better. <laughs> yeah. 
Ones by Mob Deep, uh, part two, sorry. So that was Mob Deep. Um, okay, let's play one more. Oh, we didn't even play uh, Salt and Pepper. Hold on. Hey, yeah, I wanna shoot. This is called Shoot. I remember I listened to that one when I was in high school a lot. Oh, yeah. I didn't listen to that much hip hop, but if I did, it was women. <laughs> <laughs> Queen Latifah, Salt Baba, um, Nicki Minaj, all of them. I like them all. But no Lil Kim. No Lil Kim, I know, it's bad. I don't even know how I missed that. Okay, this is a really popular one. Uh, they Reminisce Over You by Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Oh, I love this one. Spell the shell I say, 22 years ago, the 
keep it on track. The word for my child on the eighth of October. I chose when my granddaddy came sober. Count all the fingers and the toes. Now I suppose you the little black boy grows. Okay, so we're gonna play one last one. And this is Old Dirty Bastard. Yeah. that because I was reading about Old Dirty Bastard and the album cover is his like it said I says identification identification card for food coupons it's like an ID I think this is his food stamps card and I was reading the story about this and basically they like there was like something on TV where they were talking about food stamps and then they showed him who's he's like a famous rapper getting food stamps and that's because his money hadn't come in yet or something so mm-hmm. he was still poor and um and then there was this whole thing where like oh you know even famous rappers are using food stamps like we shouldn't be giving food stamps to people anyway um and he he put it as his album <laughs> <laughs> cover which is so funny okay so that was east coast hip hop uh we didn't really cover all of it we covered like pretty much the golden age in especially with the songs that we played uh there's gonna be more we should we're definitely gonna talk about more because it's such an iconic and big part of hip-hop so do you have any final thoughts that you want to say no just that i really love this era of music it makes me giddy it makes me happy right it's... thank you for covering it today. oh no problem I, well i had to i mean you, you can't... didn't have to you chose to but if you if you're making a podcast about music and you don't include the biggest era of hip hop, then what are you even doing? <laughs> but I don't know. It's it's such a it's such an iconic um, time for the for the genre, and uh, yeah, it's really fun to talk about it. And uh, all you kids out there who are <laughs> making fun of older hip hop, it's funny because when they make fun of like. 80s hip-hop like you know the beginning beginning i know that you don't really like it remember when we were watching the documentary it's not my favorite but i do have an appreciation for yeah it. like you have to appreciate where things came from and like it's gonna sound more simple and a bit like silly um but now they're doing it with like 90s hip-hop and it's like oh come on now <laughs> you can't it's always gonna hip-hop. happen it's okay. i know i know it's it's just funny um but okay. you see where all the skill and the instrumentals and the everything came from in the 70s and 80s like yeah good music and the sampling is just ah chef's kiss (laughs) nah chef's kiss for me is jay dilla jay dilla oh they talked about him in that podcast i listened to oh yeah um can you just say what who he is he was a producer and a beat maker yeah and he they um um sorry they talked about the book that was written about him recently that well, i really want sorry to read. dj pretty much for simple terms but... yeah exactly um there's a book about him that I'm, I'm very excited to read about but yeah they talked about him in that podcast uh, that i mentioned so go listen to that um thank you very much for listening next week who knows i don't think we're gonna do hip-hop again we'll wait a few more episodes before we bring it back um but who knows what it'll be 
I never know until the last second. My voice got lost. <laughs> Sorry for that. Who knows? I might not even be on next episode. We'll see. Well, we shall see. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And see you next time. Bye.